888-835-2414. This is Learning with Leslie. Welcome to another episode of Learning with Leslie, the podcast where you learn, I learn, we all learn about how to build an online business with a blog. No, I'm not talking about one of those blogs that will fall by the wayside when Google has a mood swing. I'm talking about one that will thrive no matter what gets thrown at it. I'm your host, Leslie Samuel from becomeablogger.com, where we're changing the world one blog at a time. And as usual, I have another exciting interview for you today. In today's episode, episode 280, I'm on the line with none other than Dan Morris, president of Audience Industries Incorporated, the home of Blogging Concentrated, a corporate training, education, and resource company that provides training seminars and workshops throughout the U.S. and abroad. Dan taps into his experience developing TV and radio infomercials to drive traffic to web and even building Walgreens pharmacies and uses that to help bloggers like you and I perfect the little things that make a big difference. He has conducted workshops all over the U.S. and literally all over (laughs) New Zealand and even has workshops coming up in Europe. It takes a lot of efforts to put these together, but it has helped him grow a targeted audience. So I thought I'd bring him on here to talk about how to use live workshops to grow your audience. That's what we're going to be talking about today, Dan, my man. How are you doing? Let me just say you cannot reach everyone until you go to their hometown. (laughs) What in the world? (laughs) What are you talking about, dude? I'm saying that... Live workshops are great because some people don't travel. They don't have time necessarily like to do webinars at night. But if you come to their hometown, they are ready to come to your workshop. They are. Man, you just kind of dove right in, dude. That's what I like about you. (laughs) Get to the meat. There you go. I'm going to pull you back from the meat because I, I want some backstory. Um, but before we go over, even into that, I'm going to give you a test. Are you ready for a test? Do it. And there's a grade. You get a grade. There's, there's a lot riding on this test right now. So the question is, where did we meet? All right. So let me ask you this. No, wait, wait. How are you going to answer is a question? Only, how, how are you going to answer only one... a question with a, a question? Is there only one question? Because I have to know, do I have an opportunity to raise my grade on the next question, or is it all riding on this? <laughs> it is It is all riding on this. So if you get well, this wrong, I, I will, mean, the interview might I, be over, and, <laughs> and you know, people are going to get a really short episode. So let, let's go. All right. So I met you in the main hallway – in front of the selfie screen <laughs> at Blog World New York, I believe. But well, you got even more specific than I would have gotten. I think, I think you're correct. Maybe I should yes. ask a follow-up question to see if you can fail that. When was that? I am going to guess that was 2012, October 8th. Wait. Uh, you you got the exact day, dude. Dude, you told me this was a test. <laughs> you came you came prepared for every question, huh? <laughs> That's my guess, dude. 
Man, it's been great. Uh, 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 well, it was great meeting you. And you're an interesting dude. It seems as if you have been involved in literally everything in the world. Is that correct? I mean, that's that's the that's what it looks like to me. Am I wrong? I I still have a bucket list of things I have not done. What is the so number one? No. What is the number one thing on that bucket list? I would like to patent an invention. Ah, you haven't done that as yet. I have not done that. Do you have some kind of invention that you're thinking about already? I almost always have an invention in my head. What is the but coo- what's the coolest invention in your that that you could think of that was in your head at one point? A cough drop lollipops. <laughs> cough drop lollipops. Yeah, cuz you know, lollipops for kids, that's like a choking hazard. But what if it was a lollipop? Ah. Uh, so if the if the whole workshop thing doesn't uh you know work out, which obviously it is, but if something were to go drastically wrong, you could start a business doing cough drop lollipops. Yeah. Inventing things. Okay, sweet. So l- let's let's talk about how you got into this whole online marketing thing. What were you doing before and how did you get into this? Well, I guess I would say immediately preceding anything online, I was building Walgreens pharmacies for private developers in the country. I think we built – I built 65 of them in my time as a developer uh, throughout Arizona, California, Washington, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina. And when you say you built, you mean like you literally built them? Like you were the the carpenter, the architect? What, What were you? I was the developer. Okay. So that means that I was the guy that proposed the site to Walgreens and put together the, the site plan, talked to the city, asked all the questions, figured out the permits, talked to the Department of Transportation to figure out future of the road system, you know, worked out the, the curb cuts, the parking lot, all of the signage, all the rules, the setbacks, the neighbors, uh, figured all that stuff out, and then... Once we got that approved and we got a lease signed by Walgreens, then we would hire an architect. Huh. Uh, and the architect would submit the plans. We'd get all the permits. And then we would hire a contractor. And the contractor would begin the work with Walgreens coming through to do inspections. Uh, I would make sure it got built per Walgreens specs. And then we would make sure that it was open on Walgreens' marketing timeline. Interesting. So how long were you doing that for? I would say six years. Okay. Six years doing that, building Walgreens and all that good stuff. Internet marketing. It just doesn't seem to follow logically. It's not the next logical step. So how did you get into this this whole world? So this guy that I worked for that, um, that was building the Walgreens, he was a rich guy. Now, until you get to hang around rich guys... You don't know this part about rich guys, but <laughs> once you once you hang on, this guy had I don't know fifty million dollars liquid or something. Um, once people realize that, then that person becomes a resource for the everyone that ever had an idea on the planet. So every day in the mail, on the phone, or coming directly to the office, somebody would be would come with a proposal like, "Hey, I have an idea for you. I know you like to." invest in stuff so every day there was always something else that lands on on the desk of the rich guy and this is the way that you once you're once you're wealthy how you get wealthier 
is all of a sudden people bring you ideas that could make you wealthier and you can pick and choose. So, and you know, for the person with the idea, it's an opportunity to get money without going to a bank. So in the several years that we worked together, um, he undertook a few real estate projects that people brought to him, but there was one uh, non-real estate project that we were enamored with and it was called OPC Factor. And it was this crazy guy in his garage that developed an antioxidant supplement. Um, and uh, in, I think he was out in Idaho and he had unbelievable testimonials and we, we called some of the people assuming that they, you know, they worked for him or something or they were fake and um, everything seemed to check out and everything about his product seemed fantastic. Um, so we had the National Institute of Health do a study on the product and they came back with results that were marketable. So we bought the worldwide marketing rights to the product and started doing TV infomercials and uh, it wasn't too far into it that we realized we needed a, a web presence and somebody to kind of manage that. So that's kind of where I fit. So so you, you started working with him on this project. Did you have any kind of background in web marketing, uh, social media, anything of that sort? I had no idea, but at the, but at the same time, Twitter basically had just started. Okay. So social media was almost not really a blip. It was more about um, SEO and organic results and, you know, driving conversions through targeted landing pages is what we worked on in the in the beginning. And then social media started to, to make some waves. And how, how did you learn about it then? Since, I mean, this is all new and this is a serious project with someone investing potentially a lot of money. Um, how did you actually learn how to do those things? Well, when there's money on the line and, and you actually have some money to spend on consultants, um, we, we spent some money on consultants. Uh, and you know, we spent money on different kinds of conversion people and SEO people. And after you go to a few meetings and you, you test out things and things don't work, you realize that sometimes consultants are just consultants. They don't actually – they don't actually have to do what they think they know. So um, mostly testing. And then uh, I, I think we ended up talking to the 1-800-Flowers people that we met through our fulfillment center because they were also fulfilling. And those guys test everything every second. So I kind of made a friend over there and he helped me figure stuff out. Um, and then, I, I, you know, mostly just trial and error. We had, you know, we did so many commercials and drove drove traffic directly to the site that I had an opportunity pretty much every week to really test out something new, you know, put the commercial back on TV and see if, see if the results changed. Um, I didn't really have to wait for SEO cause we kind of pushed the traffic. Um, so that helped a lot actually. Okay. And once we figured out how to get people to buy and then figured out that we needed it to be an auto ship product, uh, something that you know came to their house every month automatically, which was our fulfillment center suggested and taught us how to make that happen. Um, we started selling a lot of product, and the cost of our commercial somewhat became negligible because all I had to do was get people in the funnel, so we could lose money on the commercial. You know, and a lot of the other companies that were doing infomercials didn't hadn't hadn't figured that part out, 
So they couldn't lose money on the commercial. So they didn't they didn't spend as much, which meant they couldn't test as long. Um, so Guthy Ranker, who has all kinds of infomercials, usually with health and beauty products, they were being their products were being fulfilled in the same warehouse that ours was being fulfilled in uh, in Michigan. And we got a call from them at at the fulfillment center. And they were asking us if we're spending a third of the money that they were spending on TV, how come we had like five times the shelf space, you know, in the fulfillment center? And I just sort of told the guy, I was like, well, this is what we're doing. We're, we're kind of driving traffic to the web on the front end, but on the back end, we're selling a lot. So we started consulting with them. You know, like all of a sudden I became the consultant helping Guthy Ranker figure out this product they called that they had that was called WEN, W-E-N. Um, I think it was like a hair care product if I remember. And, uh, so then, you know, in those kinds of meetings with their web guys, you know, you end up learning more things and what I was doing was working and what some of the things that they were doing was working. So, you know, little by little you combine forces and, and realize, you know what, we're actually starting to figure all this stuff out. Hmm. Okay. So just to put this in context, approximately when are we talking about what year are we dealing with or what years? We're talking about 2003 to 2009. I, by the way, I like that when I asked you when we met, you could give an exact date without thinking, but something like this you had to think about. So that makes me feel a little special. Nice. Well, either that or you just made up a random date. And I, I know you no. wouldn't do that. No, no, that's the date, man. <laughs> cool. Okay, so... Up until you said up until 2009? Yeah, 2008, 2009 was when the recession started. Okay. So that's when uh that's when Walgreens cut back from, you know, 400 stores a year to like 14 stores a year. Um and th- that real estate portion of the, where I worked uh pretty much died. So we decided, you know what? Um this isn't this whole business as a whole, real estate and everything else, isn't necessarily working. And um, so I, I started, you know, I started other things at that point. Okay, so ultimately, you started transitioning to working with bloggers. How did that yes. transition take place? Well, as part of the OPC project, I decided to build a website called Benefits of Resveratrol, and that was. Resveratrol is an antioxidant that's found in red wine, but it happened to be the main antioxidant in the product. So I thought, what if I built an entire website around one ingredient, and then if anyone came to the website because they were looking for information on that ingredient, I could recommend our supplement. You know, I could talk about OPC factor, how great it is. You know, and that worked unbelievably well, like super well. So somebody somebody saw us mentioned uh, I forget where they saw us mentioned that, that particular site but they asked if I would come and speak at a blogging event and so I did and um, I talked a little bit about the conversion things that, that we were doing and it wasn't but two months later that somebody emailed me and said hey I just want to let you know that we started doing those things and my husband was able to quit his job wow so, so that was the day I realized you know what maybe that's what I need to be doing hmm teaching those people the things that I know because if they can quit their job, like that changes families. Helping 
when hair care increased their profits by 3%, that, you know, that's not nearly as fun. Got it. Okay, so you started then speaking at events, then working with bloggers and so on. At what yep. point did it transition to you doing these live in-person workshops? So bloggers have informal networks around the country. Um, you know, maybe nine or ten bloggers who work together online. Uh, every once in a while, they decide, "Hey, let's go rent a bed and breakfast, and we'll we'll like work our blogs for the weekend." So they they would get together. Um, so a couple of these blogging groups, because I had spoken at a couple of the blogging conferences, asked if I would come to their little informal workshop thing, and speak, you know, for the day or for a couple hours or something. Well, that was pretty cool. So then I, you know, and, I, and they were paying. So I, I thought, man, how do I get more of those groups to hire me to do that? That's, you know, that's a pretty <laughs> cool job. And it dawned on me that why would I wait for them to ask me? What if I just did my own thing like and invited them to come instead of waiting for them to invite me to come? And so that's kind of how I was born. And, and when was this? 2012. Okay, so 2012. Is this when blogging concentrated start started? Yes, basically. Okay, um, I think I think the beginning of 2013 is actually when it started. But yeah, basically. And for anyone wondering, what actually is blogging concentrated? So for the most part, our our operation has been doing local workshops around the country. Um, teaching for a day, we have six or seven different curriculum that we teach. And then we have a membership site that backs up uh, the teaching. So people can come to the event, we can learn as much as we can for the day. And then we, uh, if they would like to continue learning, you know, continue down the path that we teach, which is different than I think most blogger blogging people teach. Um, then they could join our membership group, and that's where we continue the education. We put in all the recordings of the talks. We put in plugins and new projects, tutorials, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Got it. Okay, so you started doing these in-person workshops, and at the beginning you spoke about how significant they are. Now, for anyone listening that has been thinking about doing live workshops, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about blogging related. It could be in whatever niche. Let's talk about some of the benefits of doing this. You've been doing this now for four years. What are some of yep. the benefits that have come to you and to your company as a result of doing these in-person workshops? Well, for us, it, it's a, a pretty big exposure and social proof model so if you can i mean if you can rent a space in the middle of nowhere and fill it up with people um, and companies you know see that particular success pattern over time they realize that you're doing something right and then they want to be part of that and with that comes sponsor dollars so we have we have enjoyed that part doing it all year you know regularly twice a month or four or five times a month also gives us the opportunity from a sponsor standpoint to say, hey, you could sponsor that conference over there um, and get all kinds of exposure for, you know, four days plus, you know, residual before and after. Or 
you know, working with us, we do a new event in a new city every other weekend all year long. Mm -hmm. So, so that has its own benefits as well. Um, finding people who don't travel is, you know, like uh, there's a really good chance that we've been able to interact with, uh, bloggers that conferences have never seen Yeah. because, you know, somebody in Boise just doesn't really travel. And when we show up in Boise, you know, we have an opportunity to interact with, with people that just traditionally haven't entered the industry. They haven't really, really realized it was an industry and kind of were surprised that there was a blogging event in the first place than when we came. So I have really enjoyed that part. Um, I've really enjoyed learning about the different networks and understanding kind of how the overall blogosphere works in terms of blogging itself, not just the, uh, the, the gurus and the conferences, but you know, the individual bloggers and where they, where they live and what the differences are and how their informal and formal networks are set up. You know, those kinds of things give you a much broader knowledge of the industry than I think most people get. Gotcha. So there are obviously a lot of benefits, whether it's the, the sponsor dollars, the, the finding people who travel, the learning about the different networks. Um, what about, uh, do you think it, it, it makes a huge difference in your ability to connect with your audience? Well, when you come, like I said in the beginning, when you come to someone's hometown, you know, it's a different kind of relationship. It's, you know, we show up in Lansing where, you know, type a or blog world will never go because it's kind of you know it's a small town it's not, it's not yeah. like they even should go there but you know they wouldn't go there so or you know as we go new york you know places like that there's kind of a level of appreciation that uh we have enjoyed you know like the idea that we came to you you know has its own kind of appeal for some people um everybody can can go to a conference but in the end that's for a lot of people, that's hotel, airfare, yeah. conference tickets, meals. I mean, it's and then it's babysitting and coordinating things at home, you know. And our mo has has been largely, I don't want to deal with a hotel and all that other crap, and I don't really want you to have to worry about it. So how about I just come to your town and you can just come out on a Saturday at eight and you could go home in the afternoon, and we can just learn. And you know, there's there's a level of appreciation and focus that somebody has with that kind of a plan versus kind of going to a big conference where part of the plan is also the networking and the social and the events, which take away from the focus of learning, but not that they're any less beneficial, but it takes away from the focus of just learning. And so, and who should be thinking about doing these kinds of workshops? We really appreciate it when you ask us if you should come Especially if you're new. No, I mean, are, well, I actually mean um, like putting together these workshops. Let's say someone's listening to this right now. Who should, <laughs> who should be thinking about, you know, I want to start planning workshops the way Blogging Concentrated or the way Dan is doing it in my particular niche. Well, I think that we have made enough mistakes along the way that I would say that I would not recommend starting the way we started. Um, and I would think about doing workshops a different way. And give me one second while I cough inappropriately. Yep, not a problem. <laughs> there we go. There we I had go. to cough in the middle of a podcast. There we go. There we go. So we were watching um, – oh, what's the comedian Hart? 
uh, Kevin, Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Yeah. Yeah, we were watching Rachel and I were watching Kevin Hart play Madison Square Gardens, and after he did his not at Madison Square Garden, yeah, but on HBO or something. Um, after he did his set, and everybody had clapped, he came back out to the mic, and he stood there, and he looked around, and he actually had a tear in his eye, and you could see that he was like taking in the moment. And he said, you know what? This has been my dream my entire life. And, you know, I'm the second comedian to, f- to sell out Madison Square Garden. So I looked at Rachel and I thought, how do we, how do we sell out Madison Square Garden? Like, how does that happen? Because in reality, we are no different than a comedian or a band. Like, we, we play gigs just like them. And we were talking about Kevin's heart's journey. And it dawned on me. That Kevin Hart did not do what we're doing. He did not rent a library conference room and then invite people to come hear his comedy shtick. He piggybacked on the networks of comedy clubs and places that already had had traffic and a reputation and a community. You know, and he didn't have to do the kind of marketing that you have to do if you you know you rent a space and just invite the world to show up. Mm. So that concept changed us immediately. We realized, you know what? We've been doing this wrong. We've been going to different places, finding a venue, and then working our butts off to invite everyone to the venue when the venue itself didn't already have the built-in traffic. It didn't have the community. You know, it didn't have the, the network in order to reach people. So that, that moment changed a lot of things for us. You know, like you came to the Milwaukee event, among others. Yeah. And, you know, we found a, a, a conference space in a, uh, a brewery, a coffee, not a brewery. What do you call that? A coffee house. What is it when they brew coffee? A coffee Coffee place? brewery? I don't know. I don't, I don't even I don't drink coffee, dude. <laughs> so, so they had this great conference room, which I, I really, I still think it was a really cool room. You know, oh, one yeah. of the cool rooms that we've been to. And. And here, here we are marketing our event. And, you know, the coffee place had no interest whatsoever in helping us. Like that, that's not their business. So that was up to us. We had to drive a bunch of people to a place they'd never heard of, you know, in the middle of a city. And, you know, it's work. So we started offering, um, and I, this is the part that I would encourage you to do. We started offering Blogging Concentrated as an add-on workshop to a conference. Huh. So – you know, like the Outdoor Travel World Conference. So all of those people, you know, the businesses and blogs, they, they need to learn about social media and converting traffic and that. So if we can do, you know, our event at their workshop or at their conference and we split the revenue, that means I, I might make more because they end up getting more people, you know, and I make less per person. Or, or you know, vi- vice versa. We just – we don't have venue costs, but they're doing the marketing. Uh, either way – when we piggyback on somebody else's traffic, that means we didn't have to do nearly the marketing that we originally had to do. So do and th- we can reach the same number of people. Do you think that maybe that's one of your biggest mis- – would you put that in a biggest mistakes category in terms of – I don't know whether it's time wasted or effort and not getting as much return. Would you consider um, that to be the biggest mistake? I would consider that to be a great insight if you're considering this path. 
to think about. It couldn't be a mistake because it wouldn't have been a lesson had we started out that way. Got it. So the, the lesson itself is valuable. And then we all we still do the other method, you know, the other way, because for the most part, there are places that don't have conferences and places to piggyback. So if I want to go to Boise, I can't really wait, you know, to find some conference that's going there. And the small – we don't ever do well in the big towns, like ever. Huh. You know, there's just so many options in the big towns. Got it. It's hard to cut through the noise. But you show up in Oswego, New York, people will drive three or four hours because nothing goes up there, you know. Um, we show up in Picton, Ontario or Boise, Idaho or Vancouver, which is a little bit bigger but still not a ton happens there. Um, you know, those places, people just sort of are, are willing to drive and spend spend their money because this is the only shot they have as a, you know, as a local event. So I'm still a huge fan of it, but I do want you to remember the lesson that if you piggyback on traffic, you don't have to do as much work. It might be a faster path to doing more events more efficiently, but in the end, you also lose out on, you know, if you just do that, you lose out on San Antonio. And, you know, you lose out on Tampa because you would just end up going to Chicago and New York and L.A. and, you know, the conference cities. Okay, so to the the question of who should be thinking about this, um, should we – I mean, is it if you have some of these networks that you can tap into? Is it if you have information to share? Is What kind of person – what kind of a crazy person does it take to do what you're doing? So we do, this is going to even sound crazier, (laughs) but for the most part, we do four events per weekend. I actually thought you were going to say per month, but yes, it does sound kind of crazy. So go ahead. (laughs) So in, in any part of this, well, I'll just tell you what we do. So we show up in Chicago on a Friday and on Friday night, we do a blogger's dinner. And this is part of the overall strategy. A blogger's dinner is an informal gathering, and it uses – we use Eventbrite. Okay. And we use Eventbrite because um, because this shows up everywhere, you know, people's feeds. And, you know, when you're looking for stuff, it's a great way to market your event. Okay. And if your event is free, then you don't have to pay Eventbrite. It's just really a marketing tool. So we started doing blogger's dinners in every city. Um one, to meet people who weren't interested in coming to the paid event. Two, it's a fun, just a fun networking thing. And then three, that gave us a chance to find new people using Eventbrite um, that we could then send an email to because you can email your attendees in Eventbrite through the Eventbrite system. Uh, we could e- email them about the, the following day's event. Also, if I could get 40 people who'd never heard of us who just saw us on Eventbrite to show up on a dinner on Friday night – I can get some of them, you know, after we talk a little bit and we get to know them, some of them to then buy a ticket and come Saturday morning. But that is event number one, um, meetup. Now, I'm a huge fan of anyone in any niche doing a meetup in any city that they go to. Okay. So whenever we travel, that's one of our things is to put up an event right and say, hey, we're going to be having a dinner. Like we're already going to eat dinner. True. So why would we not just want to invite people to come hang out? It's really no downside to that other than, you know, stalkers and ex murderers. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're, they don't come out as often. <clears throat> so, so it's not a huge worry. 
So if we can get people to come to that, not only do we meet people in an informal setting, but you know, we get a chance to piggyback on Eventbrite system. And just really quick, uh, because I know a number of people that are listening to this are probably familiar with Meetup. Meetup versus Eventbrite. Uh, do you have any reasons why you specifically prefer Eventbrite that Meetup doesn't offer? Yes. Uh, so I tried Meetup. Meetup is a paid system. So you pay and you get three Meetups. I forget how much it is. It's not a tremendous amount. And it's not, it's not like a number that you can't overcome. Um, but so you're allowed to have three different meetups. Now our, our idea is to have, you know, like 50, you know, over the course of the year in different cities. Gotcha. And for the most part, you can't have a meetup that's national on meetup.com. They all have to be local based. That's the whole idea of meetup.com. But so here was the problem. I joined meetup.com. I created an event in Phoenix, a bloggers dinner. Um, and I made it a bloggers, a blogging meetup, but I'm not planning on, you know, I'm not going to be in Phoenix anytime soon. And Meetup is a social network that kind of requires stoking and, you know, what's this month's event. And, you know, it's, it's an environment where you actually have a local community and you keep that community going. Mm. So I, we didn't have that mindset in the beginning that I was going to be managing a Meetup page, you know, in, in all the different cities. Got it. Makes sense. That, that was just a bit much. But we did have the idea, and we have in, on many occasions, is create either the Facebook event page or the, the Eventbrite page. Um, and then somebody at the dinner who came and was excited about it, we kind of give them the reins. Like, hey, why don't you do this again next month? Why don't you keep it going so you guys can become a tighter community? So you know, like I would give her the password to Eventbrite. Like, here it is. Here's all the email of the people who came. You can just keep it going, like set up another thing. Uh, and, you know, we've liked that because that just gets the whole, you know, all the bloggers working together, you know, locally. So sometimes we've we've done that. But but otherwise, um, Meetup is, has a different mindset than an Eventbrite, you know, dinner. Gotcha. Okay, so you do the dinner on Friday night. So that's event. Yeah, that's event number one. So then Saturday in Chicago, we would do Blogging Concentrated. Um and that would be, you know, the, the full event hosted on our site in, in terms of uh, buying tickets. And we always have a Facebook event page. Uh, we market the heck out of it through local networks for the most part. We usually give away two or three tickets to people who we think can actually help us find new bloggers. Okay. So, uh, you know, somebody who has a local Denver blogging network uh, will say, hey – is this something we could get you to bring, you know, your network to? We'd love to have you for free. You come to the dinner. We'll, we'll buy you dinner. And then that person, you know, invites the network to to the event, uh, you know, basically as another local blogging event for Denver. And it gives her an opportunity to say, hey, I'm, I'm helping bring this event to town. So and we, and we like that, you know, I don't mind giving away that ticket if it's going to end up, you know, in yeah, definitely. 20, or, 20 or 30 seats. So that's easy. So Friday we do that event. And then Friday night, like if, if this is Chicago, for the example, we would drive. You mean Saturday? Is, is this Saturday night you're talking about? Friday night. Oh, yeah. yeah so, sorry, Saturday night. Okay. Saturday night after the event, we would drive to St. Louis. And St. Louis, we would have blogging concentrated Sunday morning or Sunday. And then we would have bloggers dinner St. Louis Sunday night. Gotcha. So that would be the four events in one weekend. Okay. Now, yeah, I'm, go ahead. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna even complicate it even further. <laughs> All right, bring it. 
Rachel runs FindingJoy.net. So one of the things that that Rachel does, I mean, her her site is huge. You know, there's there's blog posts that have over a million likes, you know, and she's past a hundred thousand people a day. So there are people who want to meet Rachel. She is a celebrity by herself. And just her re own. really quick, what's her role in uh, blogging concentrated? Rachel and I run blogging concentrated. Okay. So we also do finding joy meetups in the different cities sometimes concurrently with the blogging dinner and sometimes it will be uh, at, at 4.30 p.m. we'll meet at Starbucks uh, where we invite the Finding Joy community to come out and talk to Rachel about, about her blog and her upcoming book. So that's at 4.30 and then at 6.30 we do the bloggers dinner. Gotcha. So sometimes sometimes we end up doing six events in a weekend. Okay, so insanity is what you're, you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> so, so sometimes it's, yeah, sometimes it's crazy, but at the same time, she gets to meet people in her community who think of her as, you know, a celebrity and somebody they read every post and then they, they buy the books or the shirts, you know, so we make some money that way. And then the bloggers dinner gets people to the blogging concentrated event. And gotcha. then we get, we get to a whole new city and then, you know, we get, we get home late Saturday night or, or Sunday night or Monday morning. So, so honing in then on the actual workshop, what are the pro what's the process involved in planning and setting it up and, you know, having a, a successful workshop? Well, I'd like to tell you that I knew the answer to that, <laughs> but, but there, there have been few, there really have been few that we, we have done the same. Okay. Uh, in, in the very beginning, the very first, maybe six I had the idea that if I took every topic that – in fact, we did this in Milwaukee at that event with you. If I took every topic that we could possibly talk about, put them on a piece of paper, and I gave all the attendees like three stickers, you know, put a sticker on each topic that you want to talk about today, then you know, when the day started, I had you know, a bunch of paper, 20 different papers, and I could order them. I, you know, I could arrange them so that the one that's – most they most want to talk about is first and then we could work our way down the list and we could try to get through them all in the course of the day but sometimes you can't um and that helped you know that lends to me selling the bc prime workshop because there's stuff we didn't get to or, or the membership sorry uh, so that's how we started but what we found was is that peer pressure uh changed how the day should go because, you know, if one piece of paper has 13 stickers on it and another piece of paper has zero stickers on it, like we could tell some people didn't want to be the only one to yeah, put a yeah. sticker on. So all, so then we changed to um, rankalist.com, which no longer exists. Uh, but rankalist was this great site where I could, I could put the 20 topics uh, online and then I could just tell everyone individually when they arrived to just go to rankalist.com slash bc and put them in the order that they wanted. You know, they they would do that privately, so nobody would know. Um, and then I could just press end, and Rankalist would give me the you know the actual overall average of of how everybody wanted the day to go, and that was great um, because I got because it changed things. All of a sudden, SEO was the very first thing on the list. Um, but what I realized with that was that it lacked flow. Like now I'm doing SEO followed by eBooks, you know, f followed 
followed by um, pricing yeah. and membership sites, and it, it just didn't it didn't make any sense. It made sense to I mean we made it make sense, but really it didn't have flow. So we took the reins after about six or seven events and said, you know what? Now I get what people want. I've, I've done we've done this six or seven times. Yeah. Now I can see what they're hoping to learn. Let's build an actual curriculum that has flow. Um, you know, build in examples and stories and the use of video. Um, so we started building curriculum with and without asking. And part of that was because the things that I wanted to teach, nobody picked because they didn't even know they needed to know that. Mm. You know, like the difference between your early adopters and your late adopters. Like nobody really wanted to understand the difference of that when it came to their blog. So they didn't ever pick it. So we didn't teach it. And I thought, you know what? That's not right. We're we're the teachers. Let's build the curriculum on the things that we want them to learn versus gotcha. what they think they want to learn. Gotcha. So, so after, after doing it for a while, you kind of figured out this is a good flow for this particular workshop. We're going to do it in this particular way. Yes. And I would say largely that was Rachel. Okay. Rachel really pays attention. That actually sounds more like a Rachel thing. <laughs> yes. I, I would help write the curriculum. Yeah. Uh, and I, I took the lead on that for the most part. But Rachel kind of gauged the audience during the day, figured out, you know, where they were bored, where they were asking questions, what excited them, um, what things went well, what things didn't. And then once we got in the car after it was over, she began her download of, you know, it's always like an hour, sometimes two hours of all the stuff that she liked, she didn't like, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, what we should change. And, you know, eventually we got to uh, a finished product like like Sequoia is our original curriculum. And I would say we've actually done four of those without changing them because now it's pretty well figured out. All the kinks are figured out. So one of the uh, key things that I'm hearing there is you want to make sure to get feedback from the attendees and take that seriously um, and use that to make a better workshop. Yes. Uh, and feedback from the attendees is interesting. So she used her own feedback, right? Her her site and uh, being able to just kind of sense how things were going. Okay. And then afterwards, just sort of asking people questions. <clears throat> but when you do like a survey afterwards, you learn things like, I wish we would have covered, which is good. Yeah. And then, But you also learn things that are not helpful. Like, I thought the room was too cold. You know, like, I get that. Like, I <laughs> do grasp that. Like, I, I'm never coming to this room again. So I'm not sure how I'm going to use yeah, that. Yeah. But but that's the kind of stuff where we change the email autoresponders before they get to the event. So, like, when somebody told us it was too cold, now, when you know, before you arrive at the event, there's an email that goes out that says, hey, bring a sweater. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, <laughs> because it might be cold. But otherwise, you, you get a lot of feedback that's not useful. So you have to kind of weed through it to, to figure out what can actually help you to make a better workshop. Let me ask you about um, finding the right place. W what's the process that you go through to find uh, the right network of people or the right location and that kind of stuff? Um, we, so we don't pay for venues. That's our, one of our first things. Um, most people, workshops is, is hotels, and I think we've done a – a hotel twice um, because we kind of had no choice or last minute or something. Um, but for the most part, we don't pay for venue space. Um, I actively seek out 
tech companies in every city that we go to. Um, so like we've we've met at the offices of Aweber, at iContact, at um, uh, Brainstorm Tools, at oh, I can't think of them all. Uh, the original offices of Twitter. You know, we we find tech companies that can add something to the day, like actually add value. So somebody would come in, you know, at at lunch and talk about you know like the Aweber people came in and talked about email marketing and gotcha. and the iContact people did, uh, and and all of these companies have conference facilities or training rooms so we seek out companies that have a large enough training room and, and in that case you don't have to worry about catering uh, they don't care if you bring food in you know a hotel does that's always a pain so um they always have technology you know they have the smart boards or projectors you don't have to worry about that and then it makes for a much more interesting day than a hotel i almost feel like when you come to a hotel and you walk in knowing you're there for a seminar for the day, like part of your life force leaves your body. <laughs> you see, you see the same carpet, the lack of windows, yeah, you know, you're yeah. going to see the it's same. It's not as tables. interesting. No, with the same mints and the same carafe of water. It's always the same. And it's, it just, I think it just sucks the life force out of you. But when you go to Aweber, you know, and it's, it's glass walls and there's slides and it's like a campus you know, there's fun involved. They make it really interesting inside. Um, it's totally different. Gotcha. That Can, may- do you remember that place we met at in Michigan? What was the name of that? There was a in Michigan. Did we did we do one in Michigan? That was I at the one in Michigan. Yeah, it was up by Grand Rapids. It was out in the middle of a cornfield. Oh and yes, a- yes. Uh, what was the name? They had all kinds of interesting signs all over that had yeah. really cool quotes. They had a fire pole. Yeah, it was in their awesome. Building. And they had the gym that he built onto the building. And yeah, we played basketball. Cool. Uh, so, 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 you know, finding those kinds of places is the key for us. Because that guy, I mean, that added something to the day. The whole one, the whole idea of it. You know, you're in a, a startup tech space and the owner's there. And, you know, it's just so much different, more interesting definitely. than a hotel. Plus, plus no venue fee, you know, which is, you know, fantastic. And really quick, um, free versus paid workshops. When should I do free? When should I do paid? Should I, should I ever do free? We don't. I've never done free. I don't. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> what is a free? I mean, the only time we do free workshops is when we are speaking at a workshop, gotcha. at like a conference. And so you I recommend like, charging, basically. Oh yeah. Awesome. Uh, I, I, in fact, we don't even discount. Like I, I don't want you there if you don't think it's worth it for your blog you know the times that we have either given away a free ticket as part of some other you know somebody else's promotion or something they wanted to give away a free ticket those people sometimes don't even show up yeah and if they do show up they're like on facebook during the day Hmm. like i i really want you to spend 299 dollars and have all the expectations in the world and even tell me you're disappointed at lunch so that we can totally blow your mind after lunch if that's the case. But, you know, I want you fully invested in what we're about to do because if, if you're not, how, how, do I, how does that person become part of the long-term membership? Love you know, it. How, love how, does that, how does that person fit into the world if, if they just come to a free event and then, you know, chat on Twitter the whole day? Love it. So – Get the people there that will actually find value in it. And one way you know that they'll find value in it is by having them pay for it. 
Definitely. And if you if you discount in any form, um, you know, a lot of the big events have early bird tickets and then, you know, some special on Labor Day. Then I think people end up waiting for the special. Like they assume it's going to come. Mm. There's going to be something. And if if you train them that they need to get the early bird or they need to wait for the Labor Day special, I think people will do. So you make half the money that you were going to make unless your model isn't dependent on the ticket price, you know, which is which is very possible. In fact, um, like the Wine Bloggers Conference out in uh, California and the Beer Bloggers Conference of Philly are run by a company called Zephyr. Zephyr runs five or six different blogging conferences, um, and Zephyr makes all of their money on the sponsors. They don't even really care if you pay to get in. They just need the bodies so they can get big money from the sponsors, and they laden the event with all kinds of fun things like a winery tour. So it makes you want to come uh-huh. because people are attracted to fun. Um, and then their whole bottle is dependent on on the sponsors. So they, they I'm sure they would give away tickets for free just to fill it up, you know, to meet their numbers because their monetization strategy is different. Got it. Got it. Lots of awesome content. We are at the end of our time. So if anyone wants to find out more about what you do, the workshops that you offer, anything that you offer, where should we send them? Well, bloggingconcentrated.com is, is, is our primary hub. Uh, that's where you can learn all about what we do. You can find uh, you know links to the Facebook group or anything else. And then uh, we also uh, run Amplify Podcast, which is all about um, – I guess becoming more uh, worldly in terms of your knowledge of of blogging, social media, and tech. And we're just about to record episode 170, I think. Wow. Awesome. Well, I am glad that we met back on October 8, 2012. Thank you so much for coming on here and providing so much value. Dude, it was a good time. Awesome. Hey, guys, if you got value from this episode, and I know that you did... Head on over to bloggerconcentrated, bloggingconcentrated.com. Don't only just head there. Share this with somebody else that's maybe thinking about doing a live workshop. They're going to get value from it, so don't hold it back. This was episode 280. Uh, you can visit becomeablogger.com slash 280. And if you missed anything, it'll all be there, all of the links and all that good stuff. Simple call to action for you today. If you want to take your blogging business to the next level and you want to get some coaching by me, I want to invite you to check out the Become a Blogger Coaching Club. And guess what? You can check it out for free for 30 days. That's right. 100% free of charge. All you got to do is this. Head on over to bloggercoaching.com. That's bloggercoaching.com. And when you register for free, you're going to get access to all of my content, all my courses on building a blogging business. You're going to get, you're going to be able to get on live group coaching calls. You're going to be able to access our, our private Facebook group, live webinars, and more. Once again, that's bloggercoaching.com. Head on over there and let's get the party started. So that's pretty much it for now. This is Leslie Samuel from becomeablogger.com where we're changing the world one blog at a time. And until next time, take care and God bless.